podcast is a production of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center. The podcast is also a product of the APGO Surgical Education Scholars Program. Ideas presented in the, po- in the podcast and data mentioned have been gathered through the speaker's research, but at times may represent expert opinion only. Welcome to the podcast. Today my guest is Lisa Krause. Dr. Krauss is the Associate Dean for Graduate Medical Education at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center, where she previously held the position as Residency Program Director for the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Dr. Krauss has trained and mentored residents for 20 years and has done surgical training for over 200 residents. Welcome, Dr. Krauss. Thank you. Today we're going to explore what it means when a resident struggles to gain skill and confidence in the operating room as well as what we faculty members can do to remedy that situation. We've all met one, a resident who, despite repeated experiences, fails to demonstrate enough skill to be primary surgeon for gynecologic procedures. Or a resident who can operate when given instructions, but does not plan well for a procedure. Or even someone who just doesn't have the skills they need when they encounter a difficult surgery. We often describe residents as having good hands or not having good hands, which I often find vague and unhelpful. So let's first talk about how we define proficient skill in the operating room. Dr. Krauss, can you tell us about evaluating surgical skills? Well, identifying a resident who's having trouble with surgical skills can be a lot harder than you think. The small amount of medical literature available would suggest that about 8 to 10 percent of surgical residents are identified as having technical difficulties. Most of our literature on surgical evaluation of trainees does not come from our GYN colleagues, but rather from the general surgery literature. Even so, we don't have very good evidence-based ways to evaluate our gynecologic surgeons. So today, I would like to use an article by Mintner and Tors from the American College of Surgeons, as well as other general surgery literature to discuss how to evaluate and remediate a struggling resident. They suggest using five domains. These are technical skills, operative planning, self-direction, patient safety, and situational awareness. Let's define those things a bit more clearly. A deficiency in technical skills would be a resident who just can't perform the procedure, right? Yes. This would be when a faculty member recognizes that a resident has difficulty with one or more skills needed for surgical training. In addition to evaluation in the operating room, of which we traditionally think, this can also be assessed in a skills lab, performing exercises such as transferring objects from one place to another or using laparoscopic scissors. It's pretty simple to measure whether they can or cannot complete the task or measure how long it takes to do so. Some skills are easier to assess in the operating room, like placement of a laparoscope trocar or use of energy or vessel sealing devices. These can also be assessed in a lab, but require more high-fidelity simulation. The final way to evaluate operative skills would be by an objective review of a videotaped performance of a skill or a surgery. Interesting. Our next domain is forward planning. How do we evaluate that? Well, we often evaluate forward planning by having residents present their planned surgeries at a weekly pre-op conference. 
the resident is expected to define the indication for the procedure and the approach they would like to take. On the day of surgery, forward planning can be assessed by asking the resident to talk through the steps of the case prior to performing the surgery. But the best way to evaluate this skill is for the faculty member to actually do less in the operating room themselves. What this means is allowing the resident to develop autonomy to make independent decisions. When we are giving directions, it's difficult to determine what the resident would do next where they would place the incision, or other tasks. It doesn't mean we aren't involved in the surgery. We just need to be asking the resident to tell us what they plan to do rather than showing them the way. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. What's next? Well, self-direction and patient safety are usually overlapping domains. These skills have to do with judgment. How does the resident perform when they are tired, anxious, or frustrated? Faculty should carefully pay attention to those portions of the procedure that are most critical and watch for changes in skill or behavior when there are such things as room distractions, when residents operate with less skilled residents, or when there is an unexpected operative finding or complication. That seems like such a critical skill to evaluate. I think many attending physicians have seen residents exercise poor judgment because they were tired or upset about another event, or even if one surgery doesn't go well, they may not perform as well in the next case during the day. I agree. The final domain is situational awareness. This includes things like ensuring that preoperative antibiotics have been given, paying attention during the surgical timeout, checking that appropriate lab tests have been performed, and confirming that the right instruments are available for the case. Okay, now that we know about how to define good surgical skills, let's talk about a resident who doesn't seem to be able to acquire those skills. What are some steps I might take if I notice a resident is struggling to become a competent surgeon? Well, for technical skill development, the surgical simulation lab can be used for that improvement as well as acquisition of new skills. There's evidence that having a coach actually in the simulation lab leads to even better skill development. I'm interested in this concept of a coach. It seems like when we're in the operating room, we try and coach residents to do the right thing or question them on what they're going to do next. So now I just need a whistle to be an official coach, right? And coaches yell. I'm great at that. Very funny. No, a coach can be a faculty mentor, but it could also be another skilled resident. More than just in the operating room, this coach would watch the struggling resident in the skills lab work with them on technique and efficiency. And sometimes we're more motivated when a peer is helping us. Often there's a dose of healthy competition. Most residents really do want to improve. I was teasing, of course. The concept of a coach seems like a great one. I would like to move forward to talk about forward planning. I mean, if the resident presents a terrible plan for surgery each week in pre-op conference, how do we help fix that? Forward planning is probably best remediated by reading texts on surgical procedures and then going through a mental rehearsal of the surgery. This can be done by giving an oral breakdown of the planned procedure or even creating a written operative plan outlining the steps of the procedure. The attending surgeon can, go get, can, the attending surgeon can then go through the plan with the resident and make corrections where indicated. This can be repeated as often as needed. 
Okay, I'm anxious to talk about remediating self-direction, mostly because this involves professionalism, and I think lapses in professionalism are both hard to define and hard to correct through constructive feedback. Do you agree? Yes, wholeheartedly. Self-direction is about keeping it together when there are distractions or when a surgery is more difficult than anticipated. I think we can all remember a time when a resident didn't keep it together in the operating room. Maybe they get frustrated and yell at the scrub nurse if that person is inexperienced. It could be that if left to operate with a less skilled person, that they can't slow down and perform the critical steps of the procedure without assistance. Um, like the time you made me do a laparoscopic tubules with a third-year medical student? Yes, exactly like that. See, I was trying to evaluate your surgical skills, and you thought I was just being ornery. Yes, and I still do. Let's talk more about that patient safety piece. In the last decade of training surgeons, the importance of this has come to the forefront. We do timeouts, we have safety rounds, we debrief. Are these all ways to assess residents' knowledge of patient safety? Patient safety and good judgment really come from knowing the medical literature. Mortality and morbidity conference is a good environment to assess judgment of a trainee and to try to find out what they were thinking. They should demonstrate knowledge of evidence-based practices for patient safety. An attending could accomplish this task also by having a safety check prior to entering the operating room. You could ask the resident, what are the safety issues in the case, and see if they can identify any of them. For example, if you are using a laser, knowing that proper eyewear for the patient is necessary. Wow, I hadn't thought of that. I bet you could do the same thing on post-operative rounds, assessing safety concerns on each patient. That's a great idea. Patient safety for surgery doesn't end in the operating room. We all know that. Finally, I want to talk about situational awareness. Situational awareness really is a demonstration of leadership in the operating room. It means the resident has mastered the technical skills and can manage the patient outside of the operative field. I see it in my colleagues when they notice that the noise from anesthesia for, I see it in my colleagues when they notice that the noise from the anesthesia machine has changed and ask the anesthesia care provider if the vitals are stable or if there are any other problems. Other examples include ensuring preoperative antibiotics have been given, that the patient positioning is correct, verifying that preoperative lab work was performed, and recognizing if and when intraoperative consultation is indicated. We don't just walk into the operating room and start surgery. It takes multiple steps, if you will, to get there. Situational awareness means knowing all of those steps and leading the team in the right direction to perform a safe surgery. Thank you, Dr. Kraus. This has certainly been educational for me. As I prepare to operate with our residents this week, can you summarize the tools I might use to ensure that the residents I operate with are performing as expected? There are some models developed just for that. You can use the briefing, operative teaching, and debriefing model. The briefing usually happens at the scrub sink. Ask each resident what their learning objectives are for the case. You can always help them refine the learning objectives or even redirect them. Once you know what the resident hopes to learn from the case, that's where you can focus your teaching. It also helps you identify a potential area of weakness. Let's say that the resident wants to do better at not tying on a vaginal hysterectomy. 
for the non-vascular pedicles allow the resident to complete the knot and then give feedback on suture placement and knot tying. Then, at the end of the case, ask the resident what went well and what did not. Remember, in order to evaluate a resident well, we have to give them space to operate. If we give them all the direction or perform most of the procedure, we will have very little to evaluate. It doesn't mean you just let them have the reins. You can ask, what will you do next? Or say, describe your next steps to find out if they know what comes next and how to do it. Then you can decide if they perform the step and evaluate how well they did it. Breaking surgery down into parts helps you identify specific areas of weakness. Fantastic. I also like the idea of incorporating patient safety by asking the simple question of what are the safety issues to the resident prior to the case. Finally, summarize how we can remediate a resident who is struggling, as we might say, in the operating room. It all depends on the deficiency. If their technical skills need improvement, see if you can help identify a peer mentor or coach to work with them. I bet if the resident goes to the skills lab or practices suturing with another resident who is more skilled, they will be motivated to really try and improve their own skill. If it is surgical planning, then have them present their plan for the case while they are scrubbing and ensure that they know the steps. The resident may also need help identifying the correct sources for use in surgical planning. Many residents watch YouTube videos of surgery. This can be a good or a bad thing. Give them direction. Finally, more senior residents should be able to do those multiple steps it takes to get the patient safely into and out of surgery. Are they ensuring antibiotics are given? Are they listening attentively to the timeout and bringing up any safety issues? Do they slow down and really deliberately operate with precision when anatomy is distorted or a surgery is difficult? This should be in our minds on every case. Again, thank you, Dr. Krause. If you would like a transcript of today's podcast, please contact me at katie-smith at ouhsc.edu. That's katie, K-A-T-I-E, dash smith, S-M-I-T-H, at ouhsc.edu. Stay tuned for further podcast episodes from the Department of OBGYN Academic Journalist Division at the University of Oklahoma.